Thank you very much, Anita. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for his willingness to humble himself and come to this earth. Thank you for the life we have. As we look at a portion of your word this morning and seek to understand how to live it, we want to be open and sensitive to your work in us as we live and respond in our daily lives for your glory. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you are a parent, you chose to have children, probably when you chose to have children, you did not stop and think totally what was going to be involved in having children and how it was going to impact your life for many, many years. A parent, her parents may choose to have children, and they think, well, we'll have a baby. They don't necessarily think about the nights that they're going to get up. They don't think about the doctors that they're going to go to. They don't think about the school things they're going to go to necessarily. They don't think about the fact that they get a little older, you know, their teenage years, and sometimes teenage years are good, and sometimes teenage years can be a little rough. And then eventually they get older and they leave home. And you think, well, now they're gone. But yet when a 40-year-old calls and says, Mom, Dad, I have a problem. I've been diagnosed with a terminal illness. You realize my parenting years have not left. Or when a granddaughter or a grandchild calls and says, you know, I just graduated from high school. I'm, I better rephrase that. I'm going to graduate from high school. You want to come, Grandma or Grandpa? You think, you know, my parenting years are not over. A choice to have children alters one's life. It doesn't stop. Along that line, I want you to think about the fact that when we are born, we're born with in a family... And from our parents, we receive a DNA. It determines our height, our skin color, our bone structure, our abilities, how much or how well we can think, whether we're musically inclined or not, the attitudes that you develop toward life. Your family, to a large extent, forms your character. It forms us. And there's much that is in our DNA that cannot be changed. I longed to be taller when I was in high school because I wanted to play basketball. Never happened. I am who I am. There were times last night, Ruth and I were listening to Andre Rue, a Christmas concert, and as I heard him sing the Hallelujah Chorus, I thought, man, I would just love to be up there singing with them. I don't have that ability. No DNA determines that. But also, we're born into a family that determines how we handle life, how we look at trials, determines how we respond to pain, determines how we handle money, the volume at which we speak. Some families are very quiet and subdued. Other people are very, very loud when they talk. That's just the way it is. Depends on the families we grow up in. How we respond socially, our families have a tremendous impact. 
And as we're looking at the book of 1 Peter, we find that Peter is emphasizing a number of items. And he emphasizes the foundation. He talks about the new birth, being born into a family, the nature of the new life, who you are in Christ, your being in terms of your standing. No, you're born into a family. You're born into God's family. There's a DNA, so to speak. You have a being. God has given you a number of things. But then he also talks about how you live, how you act, how you respond accordingly in light of who you are. So as an example, Ruth and I get married I was used to someone talking, and then there was pauses, and then someone else would respond, and there was a pause, and someone else would respond. That's my background, the family I grew up in. Ruth Ann grew up in a family that, if you were going to talk, you had to, you know, yell and scream and say, stop, let me get a word in edgewise. Not saying one is better than the other, just differences. Now, can you imagine us living together? Ruth Ann talks, and I just don't talk at all. No, but family backgrounds have a bearing. And Peter is saying, here's who you are in Christ. Here's what God has done for you, and then this is how you are to live in response. You know, going from old life to new life. So let's read together. First Peter 1, verse 17, we'll start there. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it, it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, for in the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you have believed in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so that your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. I just want you to see briefly the flow of the passage. In verse 17, he encourages us to live as strangers with a deep reverent fear. Why? Because our birth That is, our second birth was not with perishable things, as he describes in verse 18, such as silver and gold. In verse 19, but rather with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And then he describes Christ, who was chosen before the creation of the world. And then we come to faith in Christ. That's our birth, second birth. That orders the life of God, but alters our life also. And in light of that, he says, now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth. 
You come into the family of God so that you have sincere love for your brothers. Love one another deeply from the heart. So there's birth, a spiritual birth. You're born into a family, and being part of a family means that, he says, you love one another, or you have a sincere love for one another, then love one another deeply. And I want to mention that when he says in verse 17, so that you have a sincere love for your brothers, the Greek word for love there is phileo, dealing with a family type of love. And then when he says love one another deeply, that's agape, which you might say is God's style of love. Two different Greek words. So because you're part of a family, phileo, You have a family love and you have a care and concern. And we see that in families. They get together at Thanksgiving, not limited to that. They get together at Christmas and other times. There's a family love. But then he says, agape, one another deeply from the heart. See, the family influences how we live, how we respond. He goes on in verse 23 Why love one another deeply? Because you've been born again, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. We're dealing with a different type of birth. There is a physical birth. You come into a family. There's a spiritual birth through the word of God, the enduring word of God, that brings you into God's family. So he says you have a love for one another, but then he says agape one another. And then he expands, and we won't get near that far this morning, concerning the word of God, that all men are like grass, the glory is like the flower of the field. But he says, you've been born again through the enduring word of God. In this section, Peter continues to share about our being, as I mentioned with the foundation who you are, and how that is to impact your daily living, your doing. And there's a going back and forth between being and doing. You are in living. Our change in being, the change in being of Peter's hearers, deeply impacted their doing, their living, as it does us. Peter continues his instruction on how Christians, how God's elect are to live in community with each other with the commands to love one another deeply and to grow in Christ by craving pure spiritual milk in chapter 2, 1 through 3. This begins a section on how the community of believers and not society at large is to be the Christian's primary network of forming. Faith in Christ brought Peter's hearers into an eternal fellowship with God's people. Peter presents sincere love within the Christian community of God's elect as the hallmark of having experienced the new birth. They're to love one another deeply and crave pure spiritual milk that fosters a vital, Christian community. Again, I remind you that Peter is writing 
primarily to local groups of believers, not to individuals. Yes, individuals are included, but he's speaking to a body. The you, the your, are not speaking merely of an individual, but a local body. And this makes a great difference in how we interpret Scripture. Because we're not islands. We're members of a community, the body. Our response to the body is our response to Christ. Our response to the body, local body, is our response to Christ. I emphasize again, the way you respond to our local body displays what you think of Christ. Body life, shepherding, corporate worship are all vital. Treating the local body as being vital in our daily life. Now notice in verse 18, he talks about you weren't redeemed with perishable things such as silver and gold from your empty way of life in verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ. What's he talking about? He's talking about Christ, the head. And then in 22, he moves into the body. That is, believers who are the body of Christ. You can't separate the head from the body. The head, Christ. The body, believers. In way of illustration, we have a head and a body, and again, that's done via computer. Our response to our local body is our response to Christ. You can't separate the two. You ever try to fly a kite? You need what we call the kite part, but you need a string. You can't separate the two. You have a hammer. A hammer has a head. It has a handle. Otherwise, you don't have a handle. Or a hammer, I'm sorry. You need both. You have a battery-powered drill. You have the battery pack, and you have the drill. You separate the two. They're kind of worthless. So with Christ, you have the head. You have the body. You have the head in verses 17 through 21. You have the body in 22 through chapter 2 and verse 3. Again, please understand that Peter is writing to a body. And in the context of the importance of the body, I was reminded again this week of how important the body is. One day this week I got a call. And I knew when I got the call, something probably wasn't right. And it was a call from someone outside of this area, an individual and a couple of individuals that I've invested some time into over the years. And the call was not one that you want to hear.
but it reminded me of the importance of the body. The individual saying, someone in my family is not doing well, and then talking to the individual themselves. I'm not doing well. But the individual not really grasping it. What do they need? They needed the body. That's what Peter is saying. And he begins with, in verse 22, now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth. Now the word purified means innocent, blameless, chaste. And the Greek is referring to something that took place at a point in time with continuing results. So at a point in time, Peter says, you as hearers were purified. And as you read earlier, or as we discussed earlier in chapter 1, he's talking about when they came to faith in Christ. And he mentions faith repeated. When you come to faith in Christ at that point in time, you're purified with the intent, the meaning of the Greek is, that you continue in a state of being purified. It doesn't change. Now that you've been purified, and he mentions, no, by obeying the truth. So what happened to Peter's hearers? What happens to believers today? We come to faith in Christ. We obey the truth. We're purified. We're seen. We're accepted as blameless as innocent, and that continues to be true. Now think about that in the context of a local church. That those who are believers have been purified. That affects dynamics in relationships. There's a Chip and a Vera purified. Oh, they struggle and have difficulties at times, but purified. There's an art and a rose. We may struggle sometimes in responding, but they're purified. Having been purified. When we think of having been purified, don't merely think of Yourself, think about a local body of believers having been purified. The verb form of this word is consistently used in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of Old Testament, and in the Gospels and in Acts to refer to ceremonial, righteous, ritual. Ceremony in which one is intentionally and voluntarily consecrates himself to God. And in this context, we're purified when we come to faith in Christ. That is our DNA. Who are we? Purified. That's our spiritual DNA. And that influences all of life. It's our position. It's our standing. Who are we? We're a body 
of God's elect who have been purified. Makes a difference in how we live, how we respond in relationships. He says, now that you've been purified or have purified yourselves, how? By obeying the truth, hearkening true to the truth, listening to the truth. And the truth is the idea of quality of being real, revealed to humans, and it involves the message of the gospel of Christ. We have a creator God, the image of God. There's fall, there's sin, sacrifice in the Old Testament, prophets, and we have Christ, his identity, his character, his being. Now that you've been purified by what? Obeying the truth. Speaking to a local body, purified by obeying the truth. So what is the result? He says, so that you have a sincere love for your brothers. And again, the love that is being mentioned here is a family type of love. So my brother, brothers and sister and I and their mates and Ruth Ann, we've been doing a fair amount of emailing in the last couple of weeks. Why? Because we're part of a family. And what are we discussing? Our mother. And some things she's facing. Is this best or is this not good? She's getting a little further along in age and, you know, struggles in making some decisions. But what are we having? We have a sincere love. We have a phileo. There's a family type of love. There's a family type of caring. We care for one another. So I never email, email my siblings back or Ruth Ann didn't say, just want you to know, fooey on you, we don't care one bit about you and we don't care about mom. No, there's a family love. You've been purified. You come to faith in Christ, you've been purified by obeying the truth. Now you have a love for one another. You care for one another. And that's why he goes on, love one another deeply. And again, as I mentioned earlier, he's dealing with the love here that we call agape. Now I want you to understand, in light of the passage we're discussing, that one's covenant relationship with God through Christ is never just an individual matter. To be chosen by God, set apart by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of participating in Christ, means coming into relationship with others who are also chosen. So that you have sincere, sincere love for one another. The Christian life cannot be lived authentically in isolation. We're part of a body. Thus, Peter shifts his exhortations from how to live rightly in relationship with God to how to live rightly in relationship with one another. Love one another deeply. 
Rid yourself of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, and so on. Why? Because we're part of a body. We come into relationship with a family. We have DNA. So there's a trend that's been true down through the ages. It seems to be pretty strong today. It was present in the time when Hebrews, the book of Hebrews was written. And that is local community being neglected because of an individual, individual mindset and even beyond the local. But faithful corporate worship sometimes is more of a mindset when it fits my schedule. And Peter would say, you need it. Faithful body life sometimes is weak. Slow to live in, or we're slow to live in dependency upon other believers. That independence should be separated to independency upon other believers. How quick we are sometimes to try to handle life, ourself. The individual that I mentioned, call that I got this week, in the last six months, I called the individual twice and did not get any response. And I thought to myself, something must be wrong. That the individual was trying to live independent of the body. Faithful shepherding, we need leaders, pastors, elders, and so on. They're important. Because we're members of a body. Peter emphasizes coming into relationship through Christ. Coming into relationship with God. Coming into relationship with Christ. But also coming into relationship with a body. Living in a love relationship with that body. Phileo, but also an agape type of love. There's an individual sitting here this morning who loves God, strives to walk with God, seeking to live in sensitivity to their family. But if you go back in that individual's life, 25, 30, 35 years ago, you find an individual that was not so kind and gentle. An individual who neglected family. An individual who we would say was involved in some activity and daily lifestyle that would not be correct, that would not be good. But an individual who was purified by obeying the truth came into a relationship, in this case, our local church. And individuals have encouraged that person. They have rebuked that person. And when the individual fell into sin, came alongside and restored the person. Prayed with the person, 
and continues to minister in various other ways. That individual needed the body. And that's where Peter is coming from. Christ, the head, but in relationship with the body. And as we partake of communion this morning, let's stop and think and ponder about the fact that we partake of the bread, we partake of the cup. We're reflecting on Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection. We remember. But we're also reflecting on the present, and that's why Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 tells us to examine ourselves. How are we in relating to other believers? Because we come into relationship with Christ, but we also come into relationship with the body of Christ. And how we relate is important. But we're also reminded that one day in the future, we'll be with the Lord. And no need to partake a communion as we do in the present. So reflect on those thoughts and the purification that we have through Christ as we partake a communion. If you're a believer in Christ, you're more than welcome to partake a communion as the man come forward.